ask you a question. Um, have you ever noticed there's something wrong? Have you ever wondered what is wrong? I'm going to teach you today what is wrong. Why is there so much chaos? Amen. And so Genesis chapter 4, if you'll turn there. While you're turning there, we're going to teach you on the doctrine of sin. Now, we're getting close to finishing the theology series. We've covered a lot of various doctrines of the Bible. And uh, God has helped us to do this in a timely fashion because obviously when you start teaching the doctrines of the Bible, you're pretty much teaching all of the Bible. And so God has given us the ability to do this in a timely manner. Uh, we've got a few more subjects to go through, but this morning it'll be the doctrine of sin. Say with me, the doctrine of sin. It is Tamer theology, Tamer theology, which means sin and then logos or word. So it is the word concerning or the doctrine concerning sin. And I think that you will be surprised as we teach this to you. Do not think that this is going to be sort of a ho-hum teaching. Uh, you are going to be impacted by the teaching on the doctrine of sin. It will, will help you uh, in your walk with the Lord. So if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. This is the first time that sin, the word sin, is mentioned in the Bible. If you want to understand a particular doctrine, there is what is known as hermeneutics. It's the laws of interpretation. One of those laws is the law of first mention. So, for example, if you're studying the book of Revelation and you're reading about these symbols and things and you're wondering, well, what do these symbols mean? Go back where they're first mentioned and you will find the meaning uh, of those symbols. And so in Genesis chapter 4, we have the law first mentioned concerning sin. Sin is mentioned for the first time. So Genesis 4 and verse 1, if you will uh, look at that, please. Amen. Praise the Lord. Genesis 4, 1 through 7. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Father, we come up for you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. That you be glorified and honored in everything that we do today, God. 
give us the strength and direction we need, Lord, to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that sin entered into the world through man. Uh, and then Genesis chapter 4, we see the first time that it is mentioned. The Bible says literally, if you look at verse 7 again, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. This shows you the picture of sin as like a tiger uh, laying at your front door. And it's ready, its desire is to have you. It will literally, like a wild tiger, a wild animal, literally try to jump upon you and destroy your life. That's the picture when it says sin is lying at the door. It's just like a wild animal ready to take you. And then it says, but you shall rule over him. So the Bible tells us that we have the ability, even though sin is crouching at the door and it's ready to pounce on you as soon as you open the door, the Bible tells us you will have the ability to rule over that sin that will try to have us, okay? First mention, Genesis 4. Now in Revelation 18, we have the last mention of sin as far as the word is concerned. Go to Revelation 18, 1 through 5. Revelation 18, 1, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. He cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies and I heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues for her sins have reached into heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. So again, verse 4 and 5, we see the word there, sin or sins mentioned for the last time in the word of the Lord. So from Genesis to Revelation, we have a record of sin. Now, what is this thing that is so hated by God and so damnable and so harmful to man? Think about this. God hates sin, and it is damnable. It will cause you to go to hell, and it is harmful to man. What is this thing called sin that's so hateful and so damnable and so harmful to man? And that's what we're going to teach you uh, about. Uh, this is why everything is messed up. You wonder why things are so messed up if you ask yourself the question what is wrong with the world in fact what's wrong with me 
Well, the answer to that question as to what is wrong in the world, why so much chaos, and then what's wrong with me, the answer is sin. In fact, it's so evil that even the pronunciation of the word sin has the hiss of the serpent connected to it. So that's what's wrong with the world, and that's what's wrong with you and I. Amen. Uh, the chaos that's here is as a result of sin, this damnable, hated by God, and harmful to man uh, thing. And we're going to talk about this. And I'm going to give you 12 different things that we're going to be teaching you on that is the doctrine of sin. So let me give you the list here if you want to write them down. First of all, we're going to talk about the definition of sin. What is sin? Then we're going to talk about the origin of sin. Where did it come from? We're going to talk about the nature of sin. We're going to talk about the universality of sin. We're going to talk about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. We're going to talk about the consequences of sin. We're going to talk about the imputation of sin, kinds of sin, metaphors for sin, Christians' sin, two reasons why God permitted sin, and then the ultimate final victory over sin. Did y'all get that? Real fast again, in case you need to fill in the blanks. The definition of sin, the origin of sin, nature of sin, universality of sin, sinfulness of sin, consequence of sin, imputation of sin, kinds of sin, metaphors of sin, or for sin, uh, Christian sin, two reasons why God permitted sin, and then the final victory over sin. Okay, those are the, the topics or the headings we're going to talk about. We're going to outline it and uh, go through these things. Okay. First of all, definition of sin. There are four major Hebrew words uh, in the Old Testament. That, now, that's not all of the words for sin, but there are four major Hebrew words in the Old Testament for sin. And there are nine Greek words in the New Testament for sin for a total of 13 different words for sin. So that, that shows you that not one definition uh, will cover this doctrine or this teaching concerning sin. It takes 13 different Hebrew and Greek words to even define sin for us, okay? Now, I'm not going to give all of those to you. I've got them written down in my notes. But just take note of that, how many definitions it takes to define this uh, thing called sin, okay? Now, I'll break it down to you and i explain it to you uh, in a few statements here, back up here. Okay, when you take it all together, those 13 different words, one definition is to miss the mark, like a bullseye on a target. So you pull the arrow back, and if you don't hit the bullseye, then you've missed the mark, okay? 
That's one definition for sin, missing the mark or not hitting the bullseye on the target. Now, we're talking about in relationship to God and God's will. So if you sin, that means you've missed the mark, you've missed the target of God's will and purpose. Okay? So that's one uh, definition for sin, is to miss the mark. Now, if you miss the mark, what does that mean? Well, that means you committed a sin of what? Omission. Because if you've missed the mark, that means you haven't done what you should have done. Okay, with me here? Okay. So if I miss the mark, then I haven't done what I should have done in relationship to the will of God. Correct? Okay. That's a sin of omission. Not doing what I should have done. Next definition for sin is, well, the word is transgression, but it means... Uh, the word sin literally missed the mark but transgression is also a word that defines sin now that particular word means to go beyond a boundary okay it means to cross a line so if you go beyond the boundary then that is a sin of commission you did something that you shouldn't have done. You with me? Okay, so if I miss the mark, if I sin against God and I miss the mark, that means I didn't do what I should have done. But if I go beyond the boundary or I cross a line, that means I did something that I shouldn't have done. I went too far. I, I crossed the boundary. I crossed the line. And obviously that line or that boundary is established by God, by His law, by His Word. Okay? So God says, you know, we're not to do certain things, and if I step across that, if I walk through that fence, then I've sinned against the Lord. So the first one, missing the mark, is a an act of omission. I haven't done what I should do. And the second one is an act of commission. I went beyond the boundary and did something I should not have done. Okay? So those are two definitions of sin, and really those two are the major ones we need to understand. But I'll go a little bit further with it and uh, give you some more understanding about sin, and that is um, that it is a disobeying of a voice. Also means to disobey a voice. Now, here's, this gets interesting because sometimes we think about, um, you know, sin or missing the mark as just an action. But when you talk about sin or missing the mark, that means inwardly and outwardly. If I miss the mark inwardly on the inside, that means I have a sin nature, okay? I've missed the mark inwardly with my sin nature, and I've missed the mark externally by the actions that, I, that I've you know, with me, that I have not done that I should have done. Are y'all here? If you are, just say amen every once in a while so I know you're with me. Okay. Uh, and then also the boundary, the other definition of sin, crossing that boundary is also something that can be done inwardly and outwardly. Don't just think it's an action. It is the nature that we have as well. 
All right, the nature that we have inwardly and the actions we commit outwardly miss the mark. Sins of omission. What I should have done, I didn't do. Inwardly and outwardly, I go beyond the boundary of God's law and I do things that I should not have done. Okay? But there's another aspect to sin. It to, means to disobey the voice. Now think about this. Let's say uh, somebody is trying to correct you. And you ignore the voice. You know what I mean? Well, you didn't come right out outwardly and overtly rebel against the correction. But if when the word of correction went out to you and you just ignored it, that's what we're talking about now. It means to disobey the voice. You just ignored what you were, you know, corrected on. And amen. I had some uh, sister call me from the youth group of the night, uh, the day. She said we had three young men, and uh, they weren't outwardly rebelling against what we were telling us, telling them, you know. And uh, as we corrected them, they weren't fighting us or talking back or rebelling. But what she said to me was, they ignored our instruction. Okay. So maybe they thought they were doing okay uh, because they were not talking back or uh, rebelling, you know. But if they turned their back and didn't listen, then they sinned. That's the point of this definition of sin. It means to disobey the voice. If you ignore what you have been told to do, then you have sinned. Praise the Lord. It's not just an outward act of rebellion, you know what I'm saying, or or talking back, so to speak. It's just, I'm just going to ignore what I've been told. Big problem. Right? How many women like to be ignored by your husband? That's one of the big problems in marriage is that the wife wants the husband to listen to her and he Obviously, he's going to try to fix everything, but she doesn't want him to fix it. She just wants him to listen to it. And so you have these problems in marriage because the husband oftentimes will ignore the wife. Well, okay, maybe your husband, maybe your husband. But okay? So if you don't like to be ignored when you're trying to talk to your husband, then don't ignore God when he's talking to you or, or some authority in your life that's been set in your life is speaking into your life and correcting you or giving you direction. If you ignore that and it's from the Word of God, then you have sinned against the Lord. Okay? It also means the non-observation of the law of God. You stop observing the law of God you stop observing the word of the Lord. That's sin. Okay? Uh, it is to fall, to fall from uprightness. That's what it also means. And also, ignorance, sins of ignorance. What, what we should have known. Here we go. Are you with me? Okay. Sins of ignorance is 
sins that we commit, but we don't get off the hook. You know, it's like somebody said, well, I didn't know that that was wrong. You should have. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. It was your responsibility to know it. It was your responsibility to know what you should have done. It was your responsibility to know what you shouldn't have done. You can't point the finger, finger and say, I'm just ignorant about it. You with me? Because, praise the Lord, how many of you know if you're driving down the road and you know, you're driving too fast and you didn't know the speed limit, the, the policeman, police officer pulls you over, you can talk all day long and say, well, I didn't know I was breaking the law. I didn't know I was going too fast. He said, it doesn't matter. Ignorance doesn't excuse you. Here's your ticket. Because you should have known the speed limit. You are responsible to know the speed limit. And so if you get pulled over because you didn't know the speed limit, it's on you. And that's, again, sins of ignorance there's, there's sins that we commit that, you know, we didn't know we committed them. But here's the point. We should have known. Woo. They don't, they don't fly with God. But I didn't know God. He looked at you and said, you should have known. You got my law book. You got the manual right in your hands. Praise the Lord. Okay, so that's one definition of sin. It's being ignorant, ignorant of the word of the Lord. We don't have that, do we? We're never ignorant, are we? I remember sinning against the Lord and you found out uh, later on, you know, uh, when you did it, you didn't know it, but later on you found out that was wrong. Anybody here? How many of y'all ever went too fast and didn't know what the speed limit was and they pulled you over and you said, but I didn't know what, I, what the speed limit was and they still gave you a ticket. Anybody here? The point being, you should have known. Okay? So that's a definition for sin. It's ignorance of something that you should have known, but you didn't. Right? That old term, ignorance is bliss. That's where a lot of people want to live. They want to live in ignorance is bliss. Don't tell me, um, close my ears. Don't tell me it's, you know, that it's wrong because I don't want to be guilty of it. Just because you didn't know it was wrong, you close your ears to it, it's still wrong. Okay, praise the Lord. Something you should have known. Or I should have known. Praise the Lord. Everybody here? And then also the word sin means to, to diminish that which should have been full. To diminish that which should have been full. So we take them all together, missing the mark, is not doing what we should have done, inwardly or outwardly, crossing the line, the boundary of God's word, doing things we should not have done. You know, we went through the fence, went through the gate that he set up, correct? Okay. It's disobedience to a voice. It's a sin or, or doing something that is wrong. We call it ignorance, but we should have known. And it is diminishing that which is full and also the non-observation of the law. Okay, so that's what sin is. 
Uh, so if you take all of those 13 words, the four major Hebrew words and the nine Greek words, you put them all together, basically that's the definition for sin. Okay, say praise the Lord. Now, so it is a, I will say it again so you'll understand. It is a damnable thing. It is something that God hates. And when we get into that outline and teach you about the exceeding sinfulness of sin, you will see how horrible sin is. Okay? It is beyond our comprehension to plummet the depths of sin, to understand how sinful, how, how horrible sinful creature is and the heights of the holiness of God. Those are two things that is beyond our capability. And I probably, even in eternity, it'll be beyond our capability to understand the depths of sin in the creature and the heights of the holiness of God. Okay? So it is a very damnable, something that is hated by God and harmful to man. Praise the Lord. Okay, you with me here? So that's the definition of sin. Now, let's go over to 1 John 3 and verse 4. The two basic, basic ones to miss the mark and going beyond the boundary. 1 John 3, 4. Some of you thought maybe you were going to get away with sin that you didn't know was sin. That's why you want to stay ignorant. Ignorance is not bliss. Gets you in a lot of trouble. I didn't know. And then when we get caught, we don't want to admit it. Right? Praise the Lord. We saw this little little YouTube, this little boy, he eating spark. I don't know what they are, them little things, sprinkles you put on cakes, little red sprinkles. He's eating those little red sprinkles and had them all over his face. He's just standing there. And his mom said, did you eat those sprinkles? He said, no. <laughs> no, I didn't eat them sprinkles. Now, did you eat them sprinkles? Oh, no, I didn't eat them sprinkles. Well, you got them on your face and in your mouth. Did you eat those sprinkles? No. I mean, seriously, with, with the proof on the lips and in the mouth, he still said, no, I didn't do it. Okay, 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth what sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law, and that, that English word transgression means to cross the boundary, okay? So that's doing something you shouldn't have done. That's sin. And then we have, in the word of the Lord, in James 2, no, yeah, James 2, 11. Let's go over there. James 2, 11. For he that said, look at this, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. 
Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So remember we told you when you cross the boundary, you're doing something you were told not to do. This is a perfect example. The Bible says in the law, do not kill. You with me? So this is a, a, a perfect definition of going uh, beyond that boundary. Verse 11, for he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Say, do not. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So you doing things you're not, you shouldn't have done. Crossing the boundary. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 3. The, the word there, sin, means to miss the mark. Verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of what? Sin. That word there is a different word. It means to miss the mark. So it's not doing what you should have done. So those are the two basic uh, definitions of sin, but don't forget the others that we talked about because those are important. Now let's talk about the origin of sin. Where did sin come from? There is a philosophy that's out there, especially in the Oriental culture, that good and evil have always existed side by side. Okay? That both good and evil are needed and that they have always existed side by side. Uh, that is wrong. Sin had a beginning. Now, the entrance of sin into the universe came by an angel. All right? I'm going to use that term loosely, angel. We know it was a cherub, an anointed cherub named Lucifer. This angel, if you will, just let me use the term loosely. This angel is responsible for bringing sin or introducing sin into the world of the universe. Man is responsible for introducing sin into the earth. Okay? So that's how it got here. Let's go over to uh, Ezekiel 28. And we see how sin, which has not always existed, came into the universe. And I'll give you five scripture references concerning uh, Lucifer, the anointed cherub, that prove that he, he is the one that introduced sin into the world. Okay, Ezekiel 28. Please turn there. And look at verse 15. Now we've taught you the doctrine of angels. We've taught you the doctrine of demons in this theology series. So I'm not going to try to reteach that to you, but just to show you that he's the one that introduced sin into the universe in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. 
God says, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Okay? So God created this, this angel, this anointed cherub. And that anointed cherub, Lucifer, was beautiful, perfect in his beauty. But the Bible tells us that iniquity was found in him. Now, God didn't create a devil. He created an anointed cherub that was perfect in beauty. But when the devil exercised his will against the will of God and acted independent of God, then that's when iniquity was found in him. And he introduced sin into the universe. Okay? Let's go to Isaiah 14. Another reference to Lucifer. Bringing sin into the world, Isaiah 14. These passages are teaching you uh, this anointed cure, but this angel committing high treason in the heavens. Okay. Now, at that point, there was only one will in the universe. All right. So we look at Isaiah 14, and the Bible tells us, uh, let me get the exact location. Verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation the side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Okay? So here we see he is acting independent of the will of God. And he says, I will, I will. He says that five times. So these are the five deadly I wills of Lucifer. So when he says, I will, what is he doing? He's choosing to go against the will of God and bring in a separate will into the universe. And that will is based on self-centeredness. Now, this is another thing you need to know about sin. It is also, in its definition, it is a selfishness. Okay, so the uh, characteristics of sin is that a person is selfish or self-centered. So when Satan said, I will, I will, he did that five times, these five deadly I wills of Satan, what he was doing, he was exercising self-will, he was selfish and self-centered, I will. Going against the will of God and acting independent of God. Okay, selfishness and self-centeredness. Go to Luke 10. Jesus says this, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning, lightning fall from heaven. When did he fall from heaven? Now in the passages when the 70 are going out and they're preaching the gospel and the devil is being defeated, so 
when they're preaching the gospel, Satan is seen as falling from light as from heaven as lightning. Okay, in the context. But this passage also reaches back to his initial fall. When he was found to have iniquity in him, Ezekiel 28, and he exercised those five deadly I wills against the will of God, then God took him, that anointed cherub, who now had become a devil, and cast him by the finger of God. Only took the finger of God. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, by the finger of God, he cast him out of the heavens. And so that anointed cherub would just, you know, just like this, from before the throne of God, just spinning and spinning and cast him to the earth. Because God refuses to allow sin in his sanctuaries. And for this person to bring, and I say this person, this angel, to bring self-will, self-centeredness, selfishness, disobedience to a God into the universe, God said, you have committed high treason. You have defiled your sanctuaries. And he literally cast him out of the sanctuaries. This is the way God looks at sin. God didn't play with sin. When it was introduced by this angel into the universe, God said, it's out of here. He cast him out of the sanctuary as profane. Cast him out of the holy mountain of God. Okay? Now, so this is in Luke chapter 10. We see the reference. Jesus said, Jesus said this. Did he not? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, when did that happen? Before God became a man in Christ Jesus, he's the one that cast him out. But Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. So he's God. He's the one that cast him out of heaven. So this is the fall of this angel when he introduced sin into the universe of God. Revelation 12, and I won't turn there. You're very familiar with it. Revelation chapter 12 talks about a, a time when Satan will be defeated and his angels will be defeated and they'll be cast down to the earth. Right now, they're not limited to the earth only. They have access to the earth, but there will come a time when God will cast them literally uh, to the earth and they'll be limited to the earth in Revelation chapter 12. So there's a fall line of Satan. It's a progressive fall line of Satan until eventually he's in the lake of fire. Okay? Y'all understand that? They're cast out of the third heaven before the throne of God, limited to the second heaven. Revelation chapter 12, he's going to be cast down to the earth. Revelation 12, progressive fall of Satan. Then he'll be put in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Fall line. Then he'll be put in the lake of fire. So that's the progressive fall of Satan. Okay? So when Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, he's talking about this anointed care of this beautiful angel, perfect in beauty, that sinned against God and he was removed from that third heaven. And the Bible gives us that progression of the fall line of Satan. Now let's go in 
1 John chapter 3. The fifth reference. Did you sleep yet? It's a lot different from preaching. You know, it is teaching. Okay, 1 John chapter 3, and verse 8. He that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So a person is committing sin, the Bible says, literally, you are of the devil. Because the Bible says he sinned from the beginning. But what we see here is that he's the one that introduced sin into the universe, and for a human being to sin, then they are following in the same footsteps of the devil. And that was the plan of the devil. Okay? Now, let's talk about the introduction of sin into the earth. That came through Adam and Eve. So go to Genesis chapter 3. We find there <clears throat> sin introduced into the earth. You with me? So sin was entered into the uh, introduced into the universe by an angel or cherub. Sin was introduced into the earth by a man named Adam. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So here we see that serpent. Okay? He's been cast out of heaven. He's now found on the earth. And he's tempting man, mankind to sin against the Lord. Okay, you with me? Alright. Where's he located right here? On the earth, in the garden. Verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave it also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, you think about that. Satan, or this angel, this cherub, has introduced sin into the into the universe, rebellion against God, self-centered selfishness. Now he's seen in the garden, and God has created man in his image. They took a rib out of his side and gave to that man a woman. Satan comes to this creation of God called man and seeks to get this man. To do the same thing he did and that is an introducing or an introduction 
of sin into the earth realm. Okay? So this is how sin came into the earth is by a man. They disobeyed God, took that fruit, ate it. When they did that, they sinned against the Lord, acted independent of the will of God. And this is exactly what Satan wanted. Satan wanted man to say the same thing he did, and that is, I will. Okay? Now, why did Satan want this? Why did Satan, who introduced sin into the universe, why did he go after man and tempt man to sin against God, bringing sin into the earth? Because Satan knew that he would be a complete and total failure in his plan if he did not have man to exercise supremacy over him. Okay, with me? So in order to avoid complete and total failure, Satan desired, listen carefully, to create a world system. Now, God created the heavens and the earth. Satan rebelled against God. He's cast out of heaven. He comes down into the earth realm, and he tempts Adam and Eve to say the same thing he did, and that is, I will. Because he wants to set up a world, or create a world system. Now, let me just clarify to you something. Satan has never created anything. Only God creates. Satan cannot create anything. But he wanted to appear as a creator. So his plan was, if I can get man to say the same thing I did, then I will exercise supremacy over man, and I will, in his mind, create a world system that is in opposition to God. Okay? If he does not succeed in man sinning against God, he is a complete and total failure, and he knows it. So that's why he does it. He tempts uh, them to sin against the Lord, to exercise self-will, become self-centered, act independent of the will of God, and uh, become a part of a world system which he is seeking to create so he can perpetuate his will and his kingdom in the earth realm. You all with me so far? Now, <clears throat> the problem is, when he comes to Adam and Eve and he tempts them to sin, He's tempting them to say the same thing he did, I will. And what is that? Self-centeredness and selfishness acting independent of God. Okay? So basically, he promises you can become independent. You don't need God. You don't need God. You can act independent. The problem is when man sinned against God and introduced sin into the earth realm, he was not independent. Satan promised him independence. You can do whatever you want to do. You can live the way you want to live. You don't have to do what God tells you to do. Do what you want to do. Live the way you want to live. Okay? Be independent of God. The problem is when he promised them independence, they didn't get independence. 
they became bond slaves or slaves to the devil and sin, not independent. People that, that want to act, well, I'm not going to live for God. I want to live the way I want to live. Okay? I will. You know, self-centered selfishness. People like that think that they're independent, but they're not independent because they're still bound to Satan and sin. They're servants. You're going to serve something. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve Satan and sin. You're going to be bound. Okay? So anybody that leaves the church and thinks, well, now I'm an independent person and I'm going to live the way I want to live and do what I want to do, they think they're independent, but they're not. They just walk into bondage. They become a slave to Satan and to sin. So there's no uh, independence for anybody. Either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil in sin. Praise, are y'all hearing what I'm telling you today? And when man introduced sin into the world then, you have failure. If you and I yield our lives to a lifestyle that's independent of God and want to do it our way and not live for the Lord, what you will experience in your life, what I will experience in my life, is failure. Just write it down. You don't want to do it God's way. You want to do it your own way. You want to act out of pride. Amen? Then you just put the word failure right on top of it. Because that's what's going to happen. Is there's going to be complete, total failure and chaos in your life. And so when Satan exercised supremacy over Adam, uh, when he sinned against God, he's no longer independent. He's a slave. He's a slave to the devil. And he's a slave to sin. And he's now in a state of failure and chaos it doesn't work the devil will come to you and he'll try to paint a pretty picture and say live independent of God say what I said and that is I will be selfish and self-centered and you'll be happy no you become a slave and all kinds of issues begin to rise up in your life. Anger and murder and hatred and bitterness. And all kinds of chaos and, and confusion comes to your life. Failure one after another. Because that's what sin produces. So this angel introduced it into the universe and Adam introduced it into the earth. And so now we have this damnable Thing that God hates and that is harmful to man. If you can receive this, Satan conned them that day. Satan is a con man. He'll come, he'll come, just like he did that, and con you into thinking you're going to be happy if you live contrary to the Word of God. He lied. In fact, he is alive. He is alive. All it brings is failure, bondage, and chaos into the world 
and into the individual's life. Hey, praise the Lord. You understand these things? So instead of walking in an independence and being now free, you know, not free, but bound. Not order, but chaos. Not light, but darkness. Right? And the Bible tells us the results of that in the fourth chapter where the first time sin is mentioned is that a person dies. Nobody had ever died before. But we have a person that dies whose name is Abel. He didn't die from disease. He didn't die from sickness. He died by being murdered. Which is the result of self-centeredness and selfishness. It's the result of sin, murder, death, chaos, destruction, confusion, Amen. bondage. Nothing good ever comes out of sin. If the devil wants to con you, he wants to con myself as well. It'll be a lot better to be outside the church. You can do what you want to do. You can be free. It doesn't produce freedom. Okay. So to understand why he did what he did was because he knew he had to have man. He had to have the ability to exercise supremacy over man so he could set up a world system in opposition to God. Because he can't create anything. He had to have man be involved with it. And man listened to the lie of the devil. And sin came into the world. So everything that's wrong about you and I, everything that's wrong with me, let me sometimes say, there's something wrong with me. Ever been there? Maybe daily. There's something wrong with me. And then you look at, you know, your family, there's something wrong with you. And look at your neighbor, there's something wrong with you. That's right. And what's wrong with Everybody, myself and yourself included, is that we have a sin nature that was introduced into the world, into the world by Adam. Satan, through them, introducing sin into the world, and man fell. And that's why we, there's so much wrong with us. That's why there's so much wrong with the world. And, and because of, as a result of that, curse a curse came on the earth. So that now everything that God created in the earth to be good for man. Now man, have you ever noticed something? No matter how hard you try, it seems like things still falling apart. It almost seems as if the universe is at war with you. It is. Because when man's sin plunged the whole earth, the whole creation, into a state of fallenness, and the creation is groaning and travailing, it can't wait to be delivered from this, this fall and this curse that's been placed upon it. So no matter how hard you try, you paint the house, you'll paint it again in 10 years. You know? You know what I'm talking about? Just constant labor. 
You put in a new garbage disposal. You'd be changing it in a year. I'm like everything's just fighting me, just fighting me. I'm just getting tired of fighting because everything's fighting me. The universe, the universe, the earth is fighting me. Just under a curse. But no matter how hard we try to keep it up, you know, it's, it's I'm going to break down, and we're it's at war with us, and we're we're at war with it, and it's at war with us. No, it's not. And we had these nice rains come through, you know. These rains came through, and I have a, a, a little fence. There's a drainage ditch, and there's a fence that separates the drainage ditch from my property. And the rain came, nice rain, thank God for the rain. But that water knocked that fence, you know, a large section of that fence, down to the ground. So here I am, Sister Christina and Jeremiah, after trying to put that thing back up and put concrete and glue it back down where it's supposed to be, you know, like it, and then you know, it doesn't want to cooperate. You put it, and then for some reason, it don't want the last piece don't want to fit where it used to be. And it dawned on me that you got to chip off all the old concrete off the side, or it's not going to fit right. You know, and it's just fighting everything. It's fighting me. I'm fighting it. I got a hammer now. I'm beating on the thing. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Praise God. Got to keep mowing the yard. Just. Weeds coming up everywhere. Go out of town, got weeds everywhere, in the, you know. Well, it's because of, of sin. Creation is at war with you. It's fighting every day. Praise God. So the reason why it's not a happy world, the reason why there's so much wrong with the world and so much wrong with you and I and people is because of this thing that God hates and is so damnable and so harmful to man that it even has the, the sound of the serpent in its name. And that's how it got into the world. Through a man. So you look at situations and say, well, why is everything so wrong? Why, why is everything so wrong in me? It's called sin. Okay, say praise the Lord. Now, the nature of sin. We talked about the definition for sin. We talked about the origin of sin. Now the nature of sin. This is going to really, I think, maybe turn the light on for you. First of all, the nature of sin is it's not eternal. It had a beginning and thank God is going to have an end. It had a beginning as to the universe with a the angel bringing it into the universe. And we, it had a beginning with Adam. And Adam brought it into the earth. That's when sin began. It hasn't always existed. And the book of Revelation is very clear that it will come to an end. Even for the creation itself, Revelation uh 21, when there's a new heavens and a new earth, and 2 Peter chapter 3, a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. There's coming a time when sin will be done away with. It had a beginning and it had an end, and it will have an ending. Say praise the Lord. Okay, so it's not eternal. So I know that. That that philosophy that says that good and evil have always existed side by side always is not true 
Praise the Lord. It is not merely the absence of good. It's not merely the absence of good. Do you understand this statement? Okay. Not merely the absence of good. A woman by the name of Mary, um, Mary Baker Eddy. She's the founder of Christian, the Christian Science Movement. You ever heard of that? Taught that sin is to be ignored. Just ignore sin. That, and she literally, in her teaching, denied suffering. She denied sin. She denied death. Okay. She said sin is nothing. It's not real. It is a error of your mind. No, sin is real. Sin is real. And it's not just the absence of good. It is very real. Okay? Let's say praise the Lord. All right. It is not simply weakness or the frailty of the human person or the humanity, the human nature. Let me say it again. It is not merely just weakness of the human being. What I mean by that, it's not like you get hungry, don't you? You get thirsty. You get weary. Anybody here get hungry, thirsty, and weary? Okay. Praise the Lord. Well, that's not sin. So sin is not the weakness or the frailty of human flesh like hunger, thirst, and weariness. Number three. Now listen to this carefully. It has no standard of its own as far as measuring. Sin can't measure sin by sin. Does that make sense? It has no standard of measurement for itself. Sin, sin can't measure itself by another sin. The point being is that sin depends upon good to even exist. You understand what I just said? Sin depends upon good to survive. Wow. Because sin, because it has no measure, you can't me sin can't measure itself by another sin. Sin is measured by the opposite of it, and that is that which is good. So in order for sin to even survive, it has to have the opposite of itself to even measure. Okay? And the opposite of sin would be good. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. It must oppose its opposite. It must depend on the good, meaning a perversion of some good principle. Okay? You with me? All right. Well, praise the Lord. These are, that's theological. That doesn't do it a whole lot for me. But it just, it just teaches me that it doesn't even have its own, it doesn't even have a standard to measure itself by. It still depends on good to even do that. And then sin, in order for it to survive, 
must disguise itself as good. You understand what I just said? In order for it to survive, sin must disguise itself as something that's good. Think about Hitler. As evil as Hitler was, he disguised his evil plan and purpose by saying, this is good for Germany. So that the evil disguised itself as being good. Because, listen to me, Evil without a disguise of being good cannot survive. You understand that? It can't survive. So it's got to come to you and present itself as something that's good. Ooh, are y'all hearing me right now? Because if it comes to you and it's evil, you know, if it comes to you and it's destruction, are you gonna are you gonna let that in your life? If it comes to you as death, if it comes to you as loss, if it comes to you as failure, if it comes to you as chaos and confusion, are you going to let that in your life? No. But what it does is it disguises itself. This is good. You know, people go into sin, they sin against the Word of God. They'll say, well, uh, we, we committed adultery because we love See, it was an evil. It was damnable. But they said it was good. Sin must disguise itself as being something that's good in order for it to even survive. How many of y'all, you got, you know, death and destruction and failure and chaos and confusion standing at the door said, let me in your life. How many of you said, come on in? Well, that's what sin is. Sin brings failure and chaos and confusion and destruction and death in your life. So he's not going to come to you that way. He's going to put on the disguise. This is good. Because sin knows it can't survive without that disguise. How many of y'all have the ability to recognize disguises? Now, this is this means something to me. The first, the other one that I read, I don't know much about, but this means something to me because now I know the nature of sin is to come into disguise, and it is my responsibility and for my good and yours to when it comes, say, "I know you're wearing a mask, and I'm taking it." But if it presents itself as something good and it's evil, you know, I think it's Johanna Michelson that wrote a book, The Beautiful Side of Evil. She talked about when she was involved in the dark side, how Satan would work miracles to produce his will to get a certain outcome. He would work a miracle. Now, oftentimes those miracles wouldn't last. But she wrote that book called The Beautiful Side meaning that evil comes as disguised so that you'll let it into your life. This will make you happy. This will make you feel good. This will satisfy you. And you open the door to it and then you find out when the mask is taken off it wasn't good. It was evil. So sin has to disguise itself in order for it to even 
we survived. You wouldn't even let it in the door. You wouldn't let that thought that's in your head right now even be in your brain. But it came to you and says, think like this. Right? That's good. Boston says, in order to survive. So Hitler promoted his evil plan with a disguise as good for the nations, good for Germany. Get rid of the Jewish people, annihilate them. Six million Jews, and the Jews weren't the only ones that were killed. Other cultures were killed by Hitler. And he said, well, you know, this, we're an elite race of people. We don't want to contaminate this elite race of people, so we've got to exterminate the Jews. Again, evil disguised itself as something that was good. But what happened, up to, what happened to him? He ended up committing suicide. His plan failed. Jesus died. Aren't you glad you weren't his lady friend? And she probably thought, wow, she's got a catch here. She's got the cure. And she's dead too. She died right with him. You understand? Woo, dangerous. Do you and I have to have enough discernment? That when it comes to us, we we see through the disguise, and we see what is evil. Right? Because Satan transforms himself as an angel of light. That means he disguises himself as something that he's not. Okay, so you got that right. Sin connects itself to the good. In order to survive, sin connects itself to the good. Correct? Isn't it strange? If sin's so good, why do you got to connect it to the, uh, to the good to survive? Let me give you an example we're talking about. If Hitler, as evil as he was, did not connect his sin or his evil to that which is good, he could have never succeeded. What I'm saying to you is that he required loyalty. If the men around him were not loyal to him, he could not have survived. So evil has to connect itself to that which is good to survive. Hitler was as evil as he possibly could, but he needed the loyalty of generals around him to survive. Good had now the thing about good is good never connects itself to evil. It never connects itself to evil. Because the moment that good connects itself to evil, good ceases to be good. You understand? Let me say it again. Good never connects itself to evil. In order for good to remain true, in order for good to remain good, it can't connect itself ever to evil. 
Hear what your pastor is saying. Please hear this. This is important to you. If, if we are walking in that which is good, we will never connect ourselves to evil. Because the moment we connect ourselves to evil, it ceases to be good. And I said, well, I did it. Because I was trying to do something good. It was a disguise. For you to open the door to something that was wrong. Good never can never, ever, ever does good connect itself to evil because then it ceases to be good. Does that make sense? Wow. Evil must strive against two things. Okay? That means evil has two enemies. Evil has two enemies. It's an enemy of good and it's an enemy of evil. Did you understand that? Let me say it again. Evil strives against two things. Evil has two enemies. Evil has the enemy, which is okay, good, is an enemy of evil, but evil is also an enemy of evil, which means evil strives against evil. Even, even something that which is evil, understand, fights against that which is evil. There's no harmony in evil. There's no harmony in sin. It will fight against each other. Evil has two enemies, good and evil. Let me give you an example. You ready? Y'all doing all right up here? You got a heterosexual like Hugh Hefner. Heterosexual. Playboy Mansion. Girls, women everywhere, all around him. His immoral sexuality, his immoral heterosexual stand would fight against homosexuality. You understand what I just said? His immoral heterosexual lifestyle is evil. But when he looks at the homosexual lifestyle, because he's a heterosexual, even though it's evil, he'll say, that's evil. That's wrong. So that evil strives against evil. Evil fights against evil. Are you with me today? It has two enemies, not just that which is good. It has, a, it has an enemy called evil. So you get an immoral man. He may be heterosexual. He may look over there and, you know, down his nose at the homosexual lifestyle. But he's still evil. Fighting against people. Both of them are wrong. Or take a stoic. I love that one. I would preach about the stoics. The ones that have no emotion. They just sit there and no, just no expression. You know, stoic. Hallelujah. 
No experience. You know what Stoics taught and believed? Uh, Stoics taught and believed that you were, you were to suppress all desires. That's not holiness. If you as a, as a person of God walking in holiness think that, that you should be a Stoic, that you should suppress all desires, that is sin in your life. Because desires in your life, you know, evil desires you're supposed to stay away from. Amen. You stay away from evil desires, but all desires are not bad. If you try to suppress every desire that you have, you become a sinner. Because every desire that you have is not wrong. Say praise the Lord. So we as holiness people got to be careful. We don't become stoics. Well, I'm just not... I'm not going to allow myself to enjoy life. I'm not going to allow myself to enjoy anything in life. You know, I'm just going to suppress all my desires. You're a stoic, and that's sin. You're not careful you can cross that line. I'm crossing that line and trying to live holy before the Lord. So I, I refuse to allow myself to enjoy anything in life. Okay? It's not holiness, it's, it's a sin. But the stoic in their evil position will fight against another evil called gluttony. Or the person that casts off all restraint. Just do whatever you want to do, you know? The stoic over there who's trying to suppress all his desires, evil, sin, that sin, will fight the gluttony who's casting off all restraint. That's also sin. The point being, evil has two enemies. It fights good, it also fights evil. Okay? So it strives against itself. History, again. Hitler and Stalin. Hitler and Stalin. You... Maybe some of you studied the World Wars, World War II, okay? Hitler and Stalin were the two most evil people in the world at that time. You have Mussolini, Mussolini, you know. But Hitler and Stalin, the point being here, is that they were at war with each other. Hitler, most evil man. Stalin, most evil man at war with each other. Evil, fighting. On the other hand, think about good. Winston Churchill, Roosevelt, friends. Why? Both of them promoting democracy. Good friends. Stalin, evil. Hitler, evil, fighting against each other. Okay? This brings me to the final point about this teaching is that good is never at war with itself it doesn't connect itself to evil because then it would become evil amen evil connects itself to be good to survive correct but also good never never fights itself only evil fights itself good the attributes of good like righteousness holiness Love, kindness, gentleness. 
You understand? They never, they're never at war with each other. Holiness doesn't fight love, and love doesn't fight holiness. Come on, church. When you stand up and preach the judgment of God, you stand up and preach holiness, that's not at war with His love. Everything that is good. Amen. Our friends. Their friends. Unlike I thank God for the truth. But how would you like to have good fighting with good? Holiness fighting with love. Righteousness fighting against mercy. It doesn't happen. Their friends. Am I boring you to tears? Good good. Amen? Always compliments each other. Does not disagree with each other. Love, grace, wisdom, righteousness are close friends. They do not oppose each other. God's good, isn't it? And, and we're still on the nature of sin. Sin is not always the same thing as evil. You ready? Hallelujah. I need a stretch. I'm starting to tighten up up here. You know, the truth is held in tension, right? I feel all that tension out there trying to get the Word of God to you. It's just like tension. But sin is not always that which is evil. Let's go over to the book of Isaiah, and I'll read to you a scripture. In Isaiah 45 and verse 7, where it says that God created evil. And all these theologians out here, they already know all this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the rest of you. 45-7, ready? Okay. This, this one verse right here creates a problem sometimes for uh, the Christian. They don't understand what it's saying. Isaiah 45, 7, I form, God is speaking, I form the light, create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Well, the Bible says God created evil. Then that means that evil in this passage is not sin. Because God didn't create sin. It comes from the Hebrew word rah. And that means calamity. So, when it says he created evil, he's talking about calamity like cyclones and, and tornadoes and earthquakes and those type of calamities. God says, I created those. But he doesn't create sin. So sin is not always the same thing as evil. Universality of sin. Coming to a close because I think we're getting tired finish it next week, Lord willing. The universality of sin, the fact that all men are sinners. All men are sinners. History teaches you this. All men are sinners. Look at history. Look at the fighting. Look at the bloodshed. Look at the wars. All the way through history. Murdering and death. Bloodshed. Killing. History tells you. The scripture is very clear. The scripture says that there's no man that sinneth not. First John says, All 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And that's Romans 3. Amen. In 1 John it says, If you say that you have no sin, you make God to be a liar. Every human being. Amen. All have sinned. Everybody. History proves it. Um, we see it in, Re in Genesis 4, the murder of Cain, Abel. We see it in Revelation 18, the murder, not Revelation 18, the book of Revelation, the murder of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, we see death and murder and bloodshed. The two witnesses in the book of Revelation will be murdered by the Antichrist. Are you ready? Conscience lets us know that all men have sinned. Your conscience is your built-in thermometer. It's what lets you know wrong from right. How many of you know? Okay. Right from wrong? If there was no sin in the world, your conscience wouldn't be there. You had a conscience. Man had a conscience when God created him. He had a conscience then. But it wasn't activated. It didn't come alive in him until after the fall. After the fall, the conscience was activated. The, the thermometer in man letting him know right and wrong. Right and wrong. That conscience you have lets you know that sin is a reality. Uh, religion, false religions, not Christianity. Not Christianity. False religions prove the universality of sin. Okay? Because even false religions recognize the need for a priesthood. You go to Taiwan, there's a priesthood over there, false religion. Buddhism has a priesthood. False religions have a priesthood and they have substitutionary sacrifices. They substitute animals to appease the God. Or they even, they even substitute each other. Human sacrifice to appease a God. So that even false religions prove the universality of sin. The scriptures, we've already made reference to those, some of those. There's no man sin it not. I believe that. Just to give you a few examples of men who confessed that they sinned against God, Pharaoh said to Moses, I have sinned. He probably didn't mean it when he repented, but he still said it. He said to Moses, I have sinned. You got people coming, Pastor, I've sinned. Well, good, but do you mean it? Pharaoh said, I have sinned to Moses, but he didn't mean it. He didn't, I don't think he believed that he had sinned, but he said he did. Balaam said it. Balaam said, I have sinned. I don't believe he meant it. I don't believe he, he meant it at all, but he said it. You can say, I have sinned, but not sense?
All you got to do is confess your sins to God and He'll forgive you. There's a lot of people that confess their sins and say, I have sinned against God. They acknowledge that, but they don't mean it. Did you mean it? When you said, I have sinned against God, did you mean it? Did you believe it? Or were you just saying it? But the fact that Pharaoh said it, I've sinned against God, but Balaam said, I've sinned against God, is proof that all men sin. Achan said to Joshua, I have sinned. I don't believe you meant it either. He just got caught in the act. Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold in his, hiding in his tent, had the curse come on the nation. And they went out and lost the next battle. And so Joshua says, bring tribe by tribe. We're going to find out who's done this. Who's kept what belongs to God for themselves. And tribe by tribe by tribe came before Joshua. And the Bible is very clear that Achan was the one responsible for keeping that which belonged to God and brought a curse on the nation. And when Achan was found out, he said, I had sinned. He didn't mean it. They took him out, put him under a pile of rocks, he and his family, and set them on fire. But he said it. Saul said to David. Saul confessed to David that he had sinned. He didn't mean it. David said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You know, he didn't say, Well, I've sinned against Bathsheba, or I've sinned against Uriah. He said, I have sinned against you, God. David meant it. He meant it. Job said he had sinned. Job, we're going through the book of Job. He admitted that he had sinned. Job meant it. The prodigal son. When the prodigal son came home, he looked at his father. He said, I've sinned. prodigal son in it. It wasn't just because he got hungry in a foreign land. He joined himself to that master in a foreign land. He couldn't, didn't have nothing to eat. It wasn't. He, he didn't come back and say that I've sinned because he was hungry. He came back and he meant it when he said I've sinned. He wasn't just looking for a place to stay. He wasn't just looking for a meal. He wasn't just looking for support. He had come to a place of repentance in his life. He said, I have sinned. He meant it. Judas Iscariot said, he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. He confessed that he had committed sin. I betrayed innocent blood, but he didn't mean it. And he repented. He said it. But just a few of these statements, and they're not, that's not all of them in the Bible, but just a few of these statements telling you that all men sin. Universality of sin. True.
in exceeding sinfulness of sin. The next one, the exceeding sinfulness of sin. I'm coming to a close very soon. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. How horrible is sin? How sinful is sin? The Bible uses the term exceeding sinfulness of sin. How horrible is it? I've already told you that I do not believe probably, I'm guessing even in eternity you will, you and I will not have the ability to, to plummet the depths of the sinfulness of the creature. Just how sinful we are. How horrible, exceeding sinful sin is. The high, another thing, another area that I don't believe that we'll ever totally understand is the high holiness of God Almighty. The depths of sin and the height of holiness. Even eternity. Probably not going to be able to understand. We have seen the exceeding sinfulness of sin when we looked at Lucifer's fall. We've looked at the exceeding sinfulness of sin when we saw man's fall. We look at the exceeding sinfulness of sin when we see Jesus Christ dying on the cross. You want to know how bad sin is? You look at Jesus' death on the cross. And you'll know how exceeding sinful sin is. It took the death of the Son of God, God coming in human flesh, being crucified on that cross, not spilling His blood, it wasn't accidental, shedding His blood, dying, God manifesting in flesh, dying for you in our place. That's how sinful sin is. That God Himself had to pour out all of His wrath unmixed upon Jesus Christ. All the bowls of wrath in the book of Revelation fell on Jesus. The wrath of God unmixed felt had to fall upon His own Son because of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. You want to know the way God looks at sin? Look at it. The exceeding sinfulness of sin that Adam and Eve were the only ones that committed sin. And after they committed that sin, God, with me, destroyed them and started a whole brand new human race of people that had never sinned. Do you realize because sin is so sinful that Jesus would still have had to die on the cross. If Adam would have been the only one and he would have been the only one, Jesus still would have had to die on the cross because of the exceeding sinfulness of sin.
stand. I'm going to stop there. Thank you, God, today. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you today as a people that you recognize, Father God, if it hadn't been for your love and mercy for a fallen human race, you willing to come and die on that cross and pay the penalty for sin. Therefore, there would be absolutely no hope for us. We would be confined, Lord, to a life of chaos and confusion and destruction and failure. And eternal. Lord, for coming and taking our place and providing a way where sin can be dealt with. Lord, we know all the false religions in this world. We recognize the need to appease a God. Only, Lord, Only Christianity, Lord, deals with sin. We thank you, Lord, for this morning and the opportunity to stand before you. We ask you to cleanse us, Lord, from every evil thought, every evil word, and every evil action. We ask you to cleanse us with your blood. Cancel the effects of that sin. We give you praise and glory and honor for all that you have done. We desire, Lord, to serve you, not to live independent of you. We desire to obey the voice of the mark to stay within the boundary and not cross the line. We desire, Lord, not to diminish that which is before. We desire, Lord, not to commit sins of ignorance, things that we should know. Thank you, God, today. For not only dying for us, Lord, that he says to be forgiven, but also, God, giving us the power by your Spirit within us overcome and live victorious over sin. We have come out of the world system established by sin. Thank you, Lord, for the church. Thank you for your people. Help us, Lord, always keep before us the price that was paid. Let us live worthy of that calling, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. If you choose to lift your hands to the Lord and just thank God for what He's done for you, His blood was the vaccine of the deadly poison called sin. His name 
objetivo por ela. Primeira ideia simples. A thing that God hates is damnable and haunted the man. Thank the Lord for that. For all you've done. We worship you and give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Dismiss the Lord willing, we'll continue the teaching. Uh, we'll teach you on the consequences of sin, so on and so forth next Sunday. So be in prayer. Praise the Lord. I pray this has been a blessing, has enriched your life. We're dismissed in Jesus' name.